0: Well, good afternoon to you. This is Alan Seymour, your host here on The Future of Sport, episode 30 uh, on the All In Sports Talk platform. Delighted as my special first guest on the show today to introduce Sophie Morris from uh, Mill Harbour Marketing. And I'd like to begin, Sophie, maybe just as a, as a kind of short intro, tell us a little bit about how you founded and uh, what's going on essentially at Mill Harbour Marketing. Well, hi Alan, and hello to all the listeners. Um, at Mill Harbour Marketing, I, I started the company five years ago, having
1: worked on, on both sides of the sponsorship relationship, as rights holder and as a brand, um, and my most Recent role, I was working as director of marketing for a financial services company, and we sponsored an international rugby team. And it was during that time, obviously, when you put your head above the parapet as a sponsor, everyone wants to send you their pitch presentations. And I really felt that they were lacking in relevance um, to my company. Uh, whilst there might be very good proposals generally, there, there was not um, any uh, a seeming uh, awareness of what I need to do as a company and how that would help me. So we thought that really there was an opportunity to help rights holders understand that they are a marketing platform and that brands are using them as, as, as such and therefore they need the kind of information that they would use to assess any other marketing platform. So we work with both uh, rights holders and brands. Uh, we help brands in uh, finding, planning, activating, integrating, managing and importantly measuring their sponsorship activity. And we help rights holders get the kind of information they need to help brands make those decisions but also we help them to help the brands so making sure that they're helping their sponsors with activation that
0: they are improving the quality of the service that they offer to their sponsors. Um, And really
1: the the reason for doing this is we want sponsorship to work well. Um, I believe it's uh, the most powerful element of the promotional mix. And so if we can get rights holders to give a good platform to brands, and if we can help brands to make the most of that, then we can ensure continued investment um, into the sport um, and,
0: and other sponsorship properties, which obviously helps sustainability of sports clubs. I mean Sophie I think you've given a very insightful and and using one of the words that you've touched upon there relevancy Um, and I'd kind of like maybe not to turn it round but just to reflect on some of the things that you've said Um, you know on the conference that we recently all attended where yourself with some other colleagues from the uh, European Sponsorship Association Andy Westlake and Jackie Fast and uh, having talked to them at length over the last few months and at the conference, I mean, pinpointing uh, and I hope Jackie picks that up for obvious reasons and, and also talking about some of the things that I know in my uh, former life relationship almost with Andy Westlake, radio at the time was always con- was perceived as a, a kind of 2% medium do you think that sponsorship sometimes suffers maybe with the same uh, um, and, and, and obviously not the same stigma but sometimes, perhaps, the relevancy of sponsorship is not, you know, is not particularly well perceived by the marketplace. Oh, absolutely,
1: I would agree with that, um, and I think there's a, a general lack of understanding uh, as to why uh, you would want to use it, what it can achieve, um, which you know is going to lead us nicely into the rest of this talk about education. Um, but I, I think that, uh, well, certainly if we look. At but, and the IPA's recent media focus report, yep. um, they identify sponsorship as being the, the one single element of the promotional mix that, that can best drive long-term brand building. Um, and I, I think we uh, generally as a marketing industry are fairly guilty of focusing on the short term results yeah. such as clicks and likes that
0: you, know, you can measure instantly and it's easy and therefore we
1: report more on it and so managers ask for more of those reports and we, we stop reflecting on the, the longer term impact on brand and therefore market share and profit growth um, so I think that yeah, when we're measuring something which is more powerful in the long term when we're measuring it in the short term uh, we, we can you not realise its full potential and historically where sponsorship has been used mostly for hospitality or you know, a, a common phrase on the chairman's whim, whatever the, the sporting pleasure of the, the person with the highest um, paid uh, opinion, um, that's what they sponsor without really tying that back into marketing objectives and, and integrating it across the business. So I think certainly the potential has not been seen yet or is, is only seen by the very few uh, companies that do it extremely well, but, um, you know, that's the, kind of the very top of the iceberg. I think the majority of, of brands uh, are not utilising it as well as they could, or obviously using, utilising it at all.
0: Perfect, um, perfect. So sorry to interject slightly there, Sophie, because the... the, the the thoughts that you're putting forward the ideas and and obviously we've had some briefing on where we're going with this conversation and uh, more more or less not an interview but a conversation on all things positively uh, out there for people uh, brands and I want to talk a little bit about, obviously, education in a minute, but I I also think one of the things that you've touched upon here is very significant, and that is the engagement, the relationship, and and I often talk not only with my students, but with practitioners and academics alike. I mean, if you look at social media, and um, particularly Twitter's a big favourite of mine, and it starts the conversation, but it just doesn't end there, or it's not a magic formula, like putting A badge on something, and I think one of the great assets and one of the great factors that you've already highlighted, and I like to talk about a lot more in sponsorship, is it's a continuum, and you know, the activations can come out of it, and the real endeavors to make it work and i think that practical association with sponsors is very important do you see that as something essential maybe in the kind of global sport business environment and maybe also the global sport business education environment sophie yeah i think um relationships are are key at the
1: the end of the day are both rights holders and sponsors, uh, they have similar objectives. They are wanting to appeal more to an audience and uh, grow their audiences uh, generally. That's that's a pretty good objective to have. Um, and so I think, yeah, we, we need to be engaging with those audiences and uh, a rights holder is a very good way for a brand to do that because generally, whether it's a sports team or a, a, a tournament or a league, uh, fans will have an element of emotion and emotional connection to whatever that that entity is and it's really that that passion and emotion that that a brand is trying to tap into they're trying to uh, increase the experience that a fan has with that that sports club let's say um and offering them value and in return hoping to have that level of engagement with them social media of course is a is a a great way of, of reaching out but the, to do so uh, through an association and a relationship with someone else, i.e., a rights holder, is a very credible way of doing that rather than a brand just trying to, to advertise directly to, to their potential audience on Twitter.
0: Do you know when you, you referred earlier to the IPA report and, uh, and, and kind of sponsorship see it be, being seen as the, the one with the most potential growth? Uh, I mean, I think we did touch upon it in our conference discussions, and particularly in the platform panel that you were uh, uh, alongside Andy and Jacket, and I seem to recall that somebody put out the question there, the importance of metrics. Do we get too hung up on, on, on metrics and the significance of that kind of approach when we, when, when we look at, you know, things like ROI or we look at things like the, uh, the both the performance and the results coming out of any given sponsorship initiative or any other marketing initiative for that fact? I think I'd
1: probably argue that we don't do enough um, generally in terms of metrics. I think the important thing is what metrics are you going to measure. So right. yeah. Back to, back to the IPA report, um, it, it's, it's easy to measure how many likes of um, a, a social media post regarding your sponsorship got, mm-hmm. and how many retweets. Um, what's harder is to measure the long-term um, effect of that um, in terms of brand. But I think um, any, any sponsor needs to be looking at their overall business objectives. Then down to what their marketing objectives are, and the sponsorship objectives have to feed into that. So if you're measuring just in terms of, of likes and retweets and followers, um, that's only really touching a reach awareness. Uh, sorry, a reach metric. It's not really going further than that. Yeah. So I think um, I, I would urge um, brands and sponsors to make sure that they are measuring sponsorship in the same way that they would measure. And their marketing objectives. You shouldn't really have to do too many things differently. It should fit into whatever measurement framework you already have in place with the rest of the marketing mix.
0: And I think that kindly uh, kind of nicely segues into um, my next conversational theme with you uh, Sophie. You kindly... Um Visited us and, and was a very significant participant in the recent global sport business education conference at the University of Worcester uh, in fact i 've had amazing metric feedback which i 'm going to publish quite short shortly, but i 'm going to be also putting it in uh, a lot of the context that you 've already uh, touched upon in answer to my last question almost, what effects do you think uh, conferences um, kind of educational uh, configurations, symposiums, whatever we want to call it, what did you take from the conference and, 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 and what kind of comments would you like to leave perhaps my audience which is at the moment predominantly students and academics but with some very active uh, practitioners as well, reflecting on it uh, Sophie as if you would Certainly, well, I think certainly the, the biggest takeaway from me, and it's, it's in the, the title of this, is, is global sport business education. Okay. And
1: I think we certainly always need to look outside of our markets, uh, not just industry. I think sport also needs to look to, to other sectors, um, certainly on the sponsorship front. Um, but we, we do need to look outside of the market that we, we know and that we're comfortable in. And I thought it was fantastic, um, personally, for me to hear from the faculty members, but also the students of the University of South Florida yeah. and the the experiences that they'd had with their, their residencies. Um, uh, I think just getting as much industry ex- experience as possible is is uh, what will make a very strong candidate in, in getting a job and getting a career at the, at the end of their, their academic um, life and I think it was Dr Bill Sutton that said that um, academics also need to relate to business more so I think there's there's a lot for, for both sides to do to work together more um, but that experience I think is, is critical and I certainly felt that as a, a student of a, a UK-based university, I, I did have—I was fortunate enough to have a, a year in placement. My my degree was in marketing management, and I had a, a year at Reuters, which was right. incredibly um, beneficial for me, just as a first job, but to understand how a large um, corporation works. Um, but some of the experience that the, those students of South Florida had were were incredible, and to be able to enter the world of work with not only the qualifications that they have, um, but the experience. And when I say incredible, I mean that, you know, they're not sidelined off into doing admin work. They're doing extremely significant roles that are fundamental to the success of the organization. I remember one student, I forget her name, but she was working in the finance department and her boss was really worried that she was going to be away for a week because she was you know that critical to to the organization so that that level of experience that um, universities can offer through their own uh, relationship with industry i think is, is is very very valuable to students
0: I mean Sophie may I come in there because obviously I could almost pause and, and the silence here is very refreshing almost because in setting it up and having got your feedback having got immense feedback from other people and, and I still see it very much as the beginning I mean I, I've actually done five or six of these conferences now and through my relationship as you rightly say with Dr Bill Sutton the University of South Florida but it wouldn't be as good or it wouldn't happen without the support of all stakeholders and I think This is the vital part. So the more we can engage with industry practitioners, bodies, organisations, and so on. And, and, and I'd like maybe here it's not a controversial question by any means, but it's a kind of uh, important question to ask, because the, the reason that I think it was so evident and so uh, exhilarating to hear from uh, the global perspective, the University of South Florida students on their residency programs, because there seems to be a much more recognized approach in the USA. There seems to be a much more integrated approach to doing things like practice. Practice internships relevancy, whereas perhaps we're not quite as forthcoming uh, in it uh, uh, in the UK. I know you're doing some work with Loughborough. Perhaps you could comment on that and maybe tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing at Loughborough University, Sophie. Yes,
1: certainly. Um, I uh, guest lecture at the moment, guest lecturing twice a year for uh, Loughborough University in London, okay. with a Sports Business Institute um, on really around the. Uh, building of a, a marketing strategy for sports organisations and also a sponsorship strategy so I think that's um, that certainly uh, you know fits with, with my background and what I do on a day to day basis yeah. so I'm certainly very pleased that I'm able to pass on any experience and insight that I have um, to these students who uh, will certainly have a, a placement I'm sure as part of, part of their studies but to hear from people um, in industry I, I think um, for London do that a couple of times um throughout the throughout the semester um to, to get insights. so um, certainly there was a uh, gentleman speaking on to me on how to get a job in the sports industry so bringing that insight in as well as finding opportunities for university students to go out into in- industry so that's um something that I'm very, very proud to to do. And at Mill Harbour Marketing, we are all focused on education and enabling other people. So we enable our clients, we give them the tools to do their work better. So it's certainly part of our philosophy that anything that we can give back that can make the industry stronger is something that we're very keen to do. And and that's why
0: I joined the the ESSA board as well, the European Sponsorship Association, to, to bring... A brand side marketing approach um, to, to the sponsorship industry as well. I mean that's nice and it, again it, it kind of conveniently <laughs> segues into my next theme and conversation with you. I made the, the, the comment that the integrated approach, the relationship approach and not just with people, not just with education but it's important that we get involved with sports bodies and organisations and general uh, business organisations and I know i Doing a lot of groundwork in writing degrees for the University of Northampton in another existency um, several years ago that I developed a strong association uh, with the Chartered Institute of Public Relations. I also lectured on the CIM programmes. And I think it's great to hear what you guys, you Andy, Jackie and many others are doing at the ESA. Uh, and the European Sponsorship Association. So tell us a little bit about what, if I uh, were advising maybe students going on from degree programmes or thinking about a career in sponsorship, what can you offer at uh, uh, the ESA?
1: Well, certainly the, I think the first step on the educational front is the ASA the Diploma. So this is really the only dedicated sponsorship qualification
0: that exists, and if, if there is another one, then us sort of we
1: haven't found it yet, we no. think it's the only one. Um, And we take on a great intake um, every year uh, from uh, individual students to uh, football clubs, uh, governing bodies. Um, Several of the Premier League football clubs send all of their staff, um, all of their new staff onto the the diploma. And it's really to give that fundamental um, theoretical framework and experience um, on sponsorship, which is quite rare to find, Um, going back to my own degree in, in marketing management. It's fair enough, it's some time ago now, but uh, it covered every element of the promotional mix, but never mentioned sponsorship. Yeah. And so any brand side marketeers coming in without a dedicated um, qualification, are, you know, they're learning on the job and they're learning from their, their boss and their line managers and the people around them. So the ESSA Diploma gives them that framework. Um, there are weekly uh, seminar sessions as well where people from industry come and present case studies and very prominent people. So it, the networking side of things is, is you know, very important as well as the actual education side. Um, and we are having a, a lot of students coming in with very good feedback. We have actually our um, ESSA graduation ceremony is, is coming up um, at BAFTA. And so it's really been a, a, it's a very strong success story for ESSA. Um, And obviously um, for for the students that take part and and we're pleased to be able to provide that um, level of education that that doesn't currently exist. And then uh, aside from that formal qualification, ESSA holds many breakfast briefings throughout the year and and other events um, to to share insights and best practice uh, amongst the industry rather kind of a formal
0: um, tutoring element. You, you know, you really, really do fill me with great encouragement and, and, and excitement, and, and, and I think one of the things that has enabled me to uh, to fulfil a lot of the things, maybe at the, uh, the back end of my career, so to speak, but I do feel a great sense of achievement and sense of importance in more of us sharing, more of us coming together, and I've used the phrase a few times, completing the circle and it's kind of nice to hear not only do the, uh, you know, the certification and the diploma and all the other things that you can get with it, but also that you can share practice. And, and I know even in my own time in teaching over the last few years that sponsorship has not always figured very prominently either in marketing per se or even in sports marketing business. So the more that we can get uh, bodies like yourselves, and I think also the more that we can share this, and there will be some um, some breaking news pretty shortly in the in. In the new year on some of the things that we'll be doing out of the University of Worcester, some of the things that we'll be doing with FOSC and the Future of Sport Conference brand and particularly some of the things that we're going to be doing in continuing to have a stronger relationship globally. Uh, with the University of South Florida and, and other partners, so we want to be encouraging uh, the connections that we're making via yourself personally, Sophie, and also um, uh, with, with the organisations that you truly reflect and represent. So it's great, great news. Can I kind of come into uh, not the final theme today because I think we've still got one or two other touch points that I'd, I'd, I'd like to talk about. Talk about, but I know you're a massive rugby uh, rugby union supporter. They are rfu i know you work with them uh, and i've seen quite a lot of activations and things that you've been doing prominently with them so maybe you could use that just to talk maybe about some good practice some good case study uh, some good practitioning in the sponsorship arena
1: yes certainly so my uh, a bit of background into how i got into rugby it's actually through sponsorship so uh, i think i mentioned at the beginning yeah. uh, previous role I started sponsoring an international rugby team and, and fell in love with the sport really and the, the excitement of sponsorship and, um, and being in a fairly comfortable job at the time I decided it was something time to give back to the community in some way so I started volunteering for my local rugby club which led me to volunteer um, on the county management committee all, all around sponsorship and, and development. Um, I re- then represented the county committee on the Rugby World Cup Legacy Committee and still currently sit on the um, RFU, so England Rugby's Rugby Growth Committee. So that's the extent of, of uh, the, the roles that, that I have with them. Um, but obviously being a, a big rugby fan and, and working with, with many clients in rugby on the, the rights holder and the, the brand side, some of the, the key uh, sponsorship examples that I intend to give um uh, uh, two different uh, specific aspects, really. I always think that O2 and their sponsorship of England rugby is a, is a good case
0: study yep. for
1: people to look, at, to look at, and students in particular. Absolutely. If you go back and look at uh, what they did around uh, the Rugby World Cup in 2015, there may well be a couple of videos on, on our website about that. They, they were so extensive. that The problem that they had was they're not an official Rugby World Cup sponsor, so they have to be very careful in how they, help, how they activate around that time. But, of course, they wanted to still show support for the team that was hosting and obviously the team that they sponsor. And they utilised all of their assets very well. So when I talk about integrating a sponsorship with the rest of your marketing mix, they, they truly did do that. They used um, their main asset, the, the O2 Arena, for events, but also to project fan messages on the roof. They gave away shirts uh, with the idea being they want you to wear the rose, they want you to wear the England shirts and show your support for the team. Uh, also, because the players' shirts would not feature the O2 logo during the Rugby World Cup, so they want all the fans to to wear their logo to make sure that they are still present in such a prominent tournament. And they even went to the extent of rebranding their branches. So, in one um, activation that I thought was an excellent uh, partnership between um, the RFU and O2, was they created a kind of composite logo. Yeah. So, the the rose of England rugby and the O2 logo, and they swapped out the O for the England rose to produce Rose Two. And O2 rebranded all of their branches with that. And
0: so they were asking the fans to wear the rose, and then they lived up to that themselves. So I thought that was excellent. Superb. So the activation that
1: that really stuck out with me and I presented it, um, O2 kindly let me share the story um, at a recent conference on influencer marketing, was the use of the Rose Army. So here they found 100 super fans. Not necessarily O2 customers, um, just they, they went and found super fans who aren't, Typically influencers, so they're not the YouTubers with millions of followers, they will have maybe high hundreds to low thousands of followers, but they are very well connected, so they uh, have a a good following of their own personal friends and family, but they'll also be connected into other um, audience segments. And they provided them with um, some exclusive content that gave them challenges. And these people were creating their own content. They were creating videos that they were sharing with their audience. And O2 was putting out through their own channels. And it meant that that just amplified their message in a way that they wouldn't be able to do through their own media, their own opinion. So I think it's just, um, and there's so much more to the activation that I could go on for (laughs) But That's a really good case study for anyone um, on on the brand side to see the extent to which a sponsorship can be activated, but also importantly from a rights holder's point of view to understand that's the kind of thing that a brand wants to do with the the rights that you're going to give it. So how can you um, offer it those kind of assets and understand that it wants to do that activity and help them do that? Um, one final example, if I may, is yeah. AIG, the, the global insurer. Yeah. And what I particularly like about their sponsorship, and they, in rugby they sponsor the, the All Blacks, that's the New Zealand team, and USA Rugby. They're very strong on using their sponsorship assets for employee engagement. And, you know, typically most companies uh, on the employee engagement side, you know, if there's some tickets left over, they'll do a competition, or if there's some shirts left over. Um, I think the smarter companies realize the importance of employee I mean, employee pride and uh, staff morale and, uh, for, for turnover, but also for recruiting, and AIG give the very prominent, the, the, really the gold star assets, which is access to the All Blacks team itself, they give that to their staff and they will have whole days uh, where employees and their families can go and have rugby training um, and they also uh, produced things themselves, so aside from the assets that the rights holder gives to them, they produced um, a fantasy scoring app or, or game. So their, their staff could take part in, and this was done around their recent lines tour, yeah. their, their staff could take part in it in a gaming, so it got them interested in, in the tournament that was going on, bear in mind of course not all the staff will be rugby fans. But it also introduced interdepartmental competition. So teams were playing together and it brought staff closer together. So I think um, there are two very smart uses of sponsorship that the advocacy or influencer marketing, but also employee engagement as well.
0: I mean, trying to put some summation to this, and a phrase you used a few moments ago, Sophie, I could talk for hours on this. Uh, I think we're like-minded in that regard, and, and, and I'd love to continue the conversation, but I am going to continue a little bit more, trying to kind of put pieces together almost it's interesting to hear the case studies and and the reference you made to AIG there and the USA rugby um, team Uh, I noticed that you know links global social media rugby they all link in together I, I, I happened to glance at LinkedIn earlier before our interview today and a couple of the American students were actually liking and commenting on something that you've posted about uh, about rugby so it obviously works and it's obviously great to hear the kind of newer connections and, 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 and the way the community that we both inhabit is growing and I think that is not only satisfactory but it, it, it's also very relevant in the work we do and, and, and perhaps in the not too distant future so if we will be able to talk about this a little bit more to the American audiences going forward Is there a a, a kind of crystal ball that we can look into, sponsorship in the future? Uh, We talk about, you know, everything is digital these days. Do sponsorship and digital uh, sit comfortably together? And and, and how do you perhaps see the future of sponsorship in in the kind of digital space, Sophie?
1: I think certainly certainly they do. And, you know, there are companies out there that focus uh, on the agency side, focused almost entirely on digital sponsorships. Um, so I think yeah, uh, any organisation or business endeavour needs to understand and reflect its consumers' needs and, and how they are behaving. And as we move into a more digital world, then, of course, sponsorship will follow that. But I think we can't forget that, particularly in, in sport, uh, people are turning up to a live event a lot of the time. Of course, the bigger audience is, is perhaps watching on TV or via a, via a stream, Um, or or just a a fan sort of sat at home, but there is still a lot of value in the live audience. And they are, you know, of course, the more local fans, they're the ones that can travel there easily. Um, They're perhaps your strongest fans. And so going in in terms of the um, investment that they make into it from that point of view. And so I think uh, touching on that previous point with O2, they're they're the potential advocates if they have a great experience. They're sharing that. They're sharing the message and the excitement which can, can help grow your audience. So I think for sure digital, digitally sponsorships need to develop um, how we use data to measure, how we use data to activate and understand the audience um, and offer them, critically offer them a better experience however they're watching. Um, but I think we, we mustn't
0: forget the non-digital side. Um, And that's the engagement that we can offer people at, at a live stadium event as well. I mean, I think, sorry to interrupt, I think that balance between live and, and you know, talking to the, to, to the audiences and the potential future audiences that can't go either to the live event or perhaps sometimes don't even wish to because kind of the shared experiences or the better experiences, that's perhaps for another time. I'd like to close because it, it was interesting that following on from the conference that you were um, present at on the Monday, uh, we went to Crystal Palace Football Club on the Tuesday, but... On the Wednesday, something that I was very involved in and have been for a little while now is with Wimbledon and with IBM and what they're doing in the digital space. And I, and a guy you might have come across, Sam Seddon, looks after most, if not all, of the digital stuff that, with the fan apps and the fan experience that is happening at Wimbledon has kind of pioneered it. And I know he's doing similar work with the RFU as well. And I think it's great to see what is happening in terms of, Making that fan experience so much more relevant and so much more uh, effective for everybody, and I know particularly Wimbledon, and maybe rugby, tennis uh, have some synergies here that you know their audiences are not always seen as the major audiences perhaps that sometimes uh, the world of uh, of football uh, has always been, but that's for another time, I really, really Sophie appreciate the time you've taken out today a really fascinating, insightful and a very, very enjoyable interview and conversation with you today really appreciate it, I'm sure my listeners and audience will get the same kind of, um, obviously um, get the same kind of delight from listening to it and more importantly will be able to use it in their daily uh, and both of the students and the academics I think this is great to uh, be able to experience just give us a final shout out if you could um, Sophie on how people can make contact with you uh, going forward yes certainly, um, all my contact details are on the website which is Mill Harbour Marketing dot
1: com or you can get me personally on on twitter at uh, sophie l j morris and if you want to email me directly i'm sophie at mill harbour marketing and and i'd also like to reciprocate alan it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you pleasure being at the conference as well i learned a lot myself and if i'm able to uh, share a little bit of, of my learnings with others then that makes me very happy
0: person too Uh, Sophie I have to respond as well that really obviously fills me with great uh, satisfaction from every perspective and you know it it kind of leaves me to always make my comment that I often do. My students will probably be bored of hearing it, but, you know, once a, once a teacher, always a student, and, and, and we can learn so, so much more from each other, and, and that's one, obviously the purpose of my show. So take care. We'll speak again very soon, and thanks for being on my show today, Sophie. Bye-bye. Thanks,